Yeah, well, that was a Super Bowl commercial from a few years ago, um, and uh, we're going to talk about power today, and that was a good use of power on Kevin Hart's part, uh, especially coming from a dad of three daughters. Welcome to part one of a brand new series we're doing called Lead Like Jesus. I'm really excited for this because for the next six or so weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to lead other people like Jesus because, um, well, there's just so much to talk about. And um, I think you will learn some new things about Jesus through this process. I think you will learn things, some, some new things about your power that you have um, because you all, all of us have power, and we'll talk about that in a second. We all have leadership capability, so you're going to learn about that. And you're also going to learn a little bit about us as a church, um, because, for example, um, during the pandemic, we actually uh, had a little bit more time. I had a little more time to think and reflect on life, and we updated our mission statement as a church. And so we decided that we were at our best. We are consistently at our best as a church when we are creating space, when we're creating space for you, you, each one of you, to grow your gifts and become a Christ-like leader. We're creating an environment, we're creating small groups, we're creating ministries, a space for you all, each and every one of you, to grow your gifts because you all have gifts, you have passions, you have strengths, you have experiences that are unique to you that none of us share, or combinations of those above topics that none of us share that you can bring to the table. And out of that, we hope you become a leader who models him or herself after Jesus because Jesus, we're going to talk about this here today too, Jesus was an incredible, influential leader. Now I get, for some of you, some of you are like, yes, I'm a leader, I know it, you know, you're humble. Um, there's a group of you also, though, who are probably thinking to themselves, uh, I'm, I'm not a leader, Taylor. I'm, I am not a person, I don't look at myself as a leader, I don't see myself as influential or powerful, I, I don't see myself that way, and so your mission as a church doesn't really apply to me, to which I would say I disagree. I disagree, because, and it's true, you may not be the leader, the leader of the organization, the leader of the group, the leader of the team, whatever it may be, but you are a leader. Everyone is a leader. Everyone has the potential to be a leader because pretty much if you have sway over other people, if you have the ability to influence other people and then people behave differently because of your influence, because of what you say, because of what you do and how you model your life and live your life, you are a leader. You are leading people. And you can do that in so many different contexts. You can do that in friendships. You can do that in um, work relationships. You can do that in family or married, marital relationships. All of the above is context for you to be a leader. Leadership is not dependent on a title or a position. Say that one more time. Leadership is not dependent on a title or position. Because, let's be honest, some people have the title of coach, but they're not a good leader. Experienced that before? But on the other hand, some people have the title of coach and are actually an excellent, inspiring leader. Some people have the title of teacher, but they're not really a good leader, and vice versa, right? Some people have the title of supervisor, some of you know this all too well, but they're not really a great leader, or they could be, right? It's not dependent on position or title. 
Um, uh, back when I was growing up, I think I've told this story before, um, when I was in high school, uh, I got invited to be a part of um, this organization called National Council on Youth Leadership, uh, and it was a process of interviews and to determine out of your school area or something like that, um, who were the top leaders, and the top leaders got to go to a national conference uh, and grow their leadership abilities. Um, and so through the interview process, there was multiple interviews that you went through with larger and larger and larger groups of people. It was very intimidating from a high schooler's perspective. Uh, but one of the questions that they asked in the first interview that really stuck with me was, who is a, a leader or role model that you look up to? Something like that. And I thought about it, um, and I thought I actually had a really good, unique answer because I figured all my peers would say something like, you know, Martin Luther King or, or Gandhi or Mar uh, Mother Teresa or, or something just really um, not stereotypical, not bad, but just, you know, kind of expected. Uh, and I thought I was going to go the unexpected route. And so my answer was when I thought about who has, who has in, informed my life, who has modeled for my life, who has led my life, would be my parents. And so that was my answer. And I thought, boy, they're just going to eat that up. That's just going to be great. I mean, I meant it. It was honest, but I also thought it was a pretty good answer. And then a few years later, um, I got invited to come back and be an interviewer and ask that very same question of students in high school. And so I did, and I fully expected to get the Martin Luther King, all those kinds of answers. Um, but instead, and I'm not exaggerating when I say 90 plus percent of those high schoolers answered their parents, their mom, their dad, their grandparent, whoever, you know, really raised them. And I was like, wow, if only parents could be here to hear this news, that their high schooler, yes, defiant, yes, troublesome, Yes, sometimes strong-willed and, and, you know, you think you, you've lost all touch with your high school or whatever, whatever, you know, that, that kind of feeling. Instead, parents, your kids look at you, an overwhelming majority, and say, they are my biggest leader in my life. Think about that. What if parents, what if you parent, what if we went around realizing we are leaders of our kids? Not just parents, we're leading our kids. They are following us. Maybe I think sometimes in our hearts and our minds, that would raise the bar just a little bit, don't you? But the other thing, this could also be true, thinking about leadership, is those of you who may be watching or in the room that aren't yet 18, you know, you're not considered an adult yet, you are influencing your parents, right? You may not give yourself credit for this, but you are leading your parents. You can either cause great deals of stress in your parents' lives, or you can bring them an incredible amount of joy, in their lives. You can encourage and, and support their marriage, or you can be the thing that sometimes drives a wedge. And it's not that you're supposed to take all this responsibility on your shoulders. I'm just saying, what if you thought you really fully considered yourself as a leader? You can be a deceptive leader. You can be an encouraging leader. You can strain things, or you can encourage things, right? You're a leader. If you're middle school, high school, college, etc., you're a leader of your parents and, of course, those people around you. But we don't look at it like that, do we? We don't see ourselves as leader. But I think when we see ourselves as a leader, it could change the game and raise the bar to the reality, and which is actually true, that we are leading those people around us. Because if we influence people and then they behave differently, you are leading, 
And so we recognize this truth at Infused Church, and we realize we need to be more responsive to that reality. We need to help you grow your gifts, your strengths, to become a better leader. Ideally, a leader that models after Jesus Christ. Because if you think about it, think about Jesus's leadership. Think about the influence Jesus had. He was uh, starting um, a religious group that was really a knockoff cult of Judaism. They called themselves the way and eventually became known as Christians or Christianity. He was a leader who let himself be crucified and then apparently rose again and really changed the world. Even though, even though, think about this, he had no territory, none whatsoever. He had no military, none whatsoever. He had no actual authority. His authority in the eyes of those around him was earned. By no measure that we measure power and leadership kind of today, Jesus didn't have that. Yet, his religion of Christianity his leadership went on to be embraced by the empire, the Roman Empire, which thought, sought at one point to destroy it without any of these things. Maybe some other options that Jesus didn't have that we have today. He had no political representation. He couldn't go to a senator or representative and complain or vote. No aggressive social media posts or shares. Some of you would be pained without that. You know, you couldn't passively aggress, poke, poke at your neighbor and, you know, make bold statements that upset other people. He, he couldn't do that. And he had no fear mongering, which has become kind of a political staple of today. You can't fear people into doing things. He had none of that. Yet he has, even today, the largest group of followers in the entire world started in a backwater town in Judea, had very little money, reached people by walking around the Lake of Galilee, and yet drew people from the richest tax collectors, the terrorist zealots, the common fishermen, the rich of the rich, the religious elite, military leaders. It was absolutely incredible, the influence Jesus had, the leadership Jesus had to bring all this diverse group of people together, together. It's incredible. And so in this series, what I want to do is I want to tell you as a leader, you as a leader, you as a leader, how Jesus led so you can lead like that too. Now, the key to this is going to be first understanding how Jesus leveraged his influence, leveraged his power to gain followers. Because we have all been, some of us closer than others, have seen or experienced abuse of power. Have we not? We know what bad leadership looks like. Someone using their power to hurt others, to you know, venerate themselves or lift themselves up to um, the, the harm of those around them. And so we don't have to actually get very far in Jesus' story uh, in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, very far in that narrative to figure out how Jesus was going to lead other people. 
It's this really great moment at the very beginning, at the start of his ministry. Luke documents it in Luke chapter 4. That's where we're going to look. Um, he come, Jesus comes to save the world. That's what John said. Um, because God so loved the world, he came to save the world. Uh, to, he had just been baptized, right? He went into the River Jordan, and, and there was John the Baptist, and the whole, the God, God's Spirit came down and rested on him like a dove. And God was like, I like this guy. He's good. He's going to do great things. He's my son. Yay. And it was like this really powerful moment. He like gets out of the water, and then Luke trans- transitions to what's going to happen next. And here's what he says, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to do a series here later in this year about the Holy Spirit, because some of you, depending on the tradition you grew up in in church, or if you've never grown up in church, that can be a really intimidating thing, like, what's the Holy Spirit? Suffice it to say, Luke's making a point here that Jesus has a lot of power right now. The Holy Spirit um, was known very, at the beginning of the biblical story through the end, as um, the power of creation and decreation. The power to bring humanity to its best when they allow the Spirit to do so. Just this really incredible power that Jesus has. That's a point that you need to take away here. Full of the Holy Spirit. And he returned from the Jordan River, and he was led around by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil or the diablos, or really more literally translated into English as the accuser or the deceiver. Um, And so he was going to be led around in the wilderness for this. Now, there's tons of parallels here. 40 days, you probably heard Noah in 40 days and 40 years in the desert. 40 was a time of testing in the biblical narrative. God used this time frame as a period of testing, of preparation for if somebody could pass the test to go on to, you know, receive the blessing or the promise that God had in store. And so Jesus was in the wilderness to go through this process. Essentially, the point of this 40 days was to answer this question. How will you, Jesus, how will you use your power to lead others? How are you going to do it? And the temptation is to give in to the deceiver, to give in to the accuser, to give in to the one who doesn't want you to reach the fullest of your God-given potential of God's full love and life. So Jesus, how are you going to use your power to influence and win other people to ultimately to save the world? Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually read most of the story today because I don't want you to... um, I don't want you to watch it up here. I actually want you to imagine it in your mind. Because the best way this works in this particular story, I think, is for you to imagine that you are in the story, that you are Jesus, if you will. And to ask yourself, what would you do in Jesus' shoes? How would you have handled some of the tests that Jesus went through because that's where I think it becomes really practical. So he was in the wilderness. This is what the wilderness looked like. So you leave the Jordan in between the Jordan and what we now modern day know is like Jerusalem or um, Tel Aviv or modern day Israel is this. This is a desert and it is very hilly, very dangerous, uh, and very, very empty. And so Jesus didn't have to go far uh, to get into this. And so he's wandering around for 40 days um, and, uh, and he's going to be tempted. So here it's for 40 days being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when he had ended, he was hungry. Okay. And so the point here being that Jesus is not having his finest day. Because if you hadn't eaten for a long time, some of you, you haven't eaten for a couple hours, you know, you get hangry. Okay. I know I do. That's angry and hungry together. If you didn't know, that's hanger. It's, it's a deadly disease. Anyways, um, 
Yes. Uh, and so, so Jesus is not at his, at his finest point. Now, there's a lot of interpretations of how the next few verses are going to go. Um, some people say it's literally like the devil is literally like going to pick him up and move him around all these places. Um, I, I uh, really like um, a guy named N.T. Wright's interpretation of this. Uh, he's a very famous New Testament scholar uh, for decades. He has studied and researched, speaks ancient Greek fluently, all these really cool things. And his interpretation of this, I think, really relates to us even today. Um, that Jesus didn't actually like get teleported to all these places. This happened in the wilderness, but at this point in Jesus's experience, he is not doing well, and he starts to imagine or work through these things in his mind. Um, it's kind of like we so often do, like if you've ever, you know, uh, imagined going in and telling your boss what's up, you know, and, and it going really well, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for doing that. You told the truth, and truth to power, and it was awesome, you know. You imagine that story where, you know, you told your wife or your husband what's up, and they're like, oh, honey, you're right. I've been wrong all this time, and you're great, and I need to do better, you know. You imagine these things in your mind. I think that's what was happening more or less here, is Jesus was naturally being tempted by um, the accuser or the enemy to uh, envision himself doing things and giving into things that he probably shouldn't do. And it's really hard to resist that, right? It's really hard to kind of in, in, uh, glorify yourself in your own mind sometimes, is it not? And so that's why things happening here. Okay, so, so here's, here's what happens. So, um, so they're out in the devil, and the, and the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread, because you're hungry. You're hungry. So just tell the stone to become bread, have you ever done that before? Like, I kind of deserve that dessert. You know what I mean? You deserved it. Do you need it? No, but you deserved it. Like that lava cake, that creme brulee, that extra cookie, or that cookie dough ice cream. It's like, how worse could you get? You know, cookies and dough and ice cream. You know, that one, one more Danish. Have you ever told yourself that? You know, be honest. If you were really, really hungry in Jesus' shoes right now, would you not just give in to make yourself some bread? I mean, what's so bad about that? Use, use God's power that he's given you through the spirit to just transform something and make some bread and fill your stomach a little bit. I mean, why is that such a bad deal? You know, just do it. Just do it. There's a catch though. There's a catch. Jesus says, his, his response to making bread, he says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter eight. And God is, this is a period of time where God's trying to teach Israel to rely on him alone, not on everything else. Daily dependence on him. God's trying to teach the Israelites this. And this was so confusing to me for a long time, especially as a kid when I heard this verse, I'm like, you know, what's the big deal? Just make some bread, not, not a huge deal. And is there anything, come on, is there anything wrong with Jesus making some bread right now? Not really. There's nothing too terribly wrong with that. I mean, think about this. A few chapters later, he's going to feed how many people? Thousands of people. He's going to make a couple of loaves and a couple of fish go a really long way. So what's the big deal if he just makes a little bread here for himself? He's hungry. Why not? Why not? The issue in this moment is how to use the power, the influence, the leadership that you have. And that's what Jesus has to ride the right side of the line on. Jesus, you'll find, does not cross that line. Even though it's difficult, even though it doesn't totally make the most sense, Jesus says, my power is only used for one thing, and this power is not for me. The power isn't for me. 
That's what he's gonna consistently show over and over again. He's gonna resist the I deserve it mentality, the I'm kind of selfish mentality, and I need to serve myself if I'm gonna serve others first. You know, I gotta take care of me before we, that kind of thing. And he says, no. He says, no, that's not how this is gonna go. Next, next situation, because there's three of them. And he, the devil, led Jesus up and showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain, all of its glory, for um, it has been handed over to me, and I will give it to whomever I want. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall all be yours. Again, if you were in Jesus' shoes, hungry and weak, this is all happening in your mind. You're like, you know what? I'm just going to go up there. I'm coming down. I'm giving my life for these people. I'm going to help these people. I'm going to save these people. I'm just going to go and rule it all because I'm the best. And the best way to save everybody is to rule the world, is it not? Have you ever done that in your mind? Everybody just like, ha-ha, yeah, you, go you, you know? You've done that. You've imagined that, that personal success story, that personal glory. That's what Jesus is tempted with. Just, just give in to the ways of the world. You know, they compromised a bit. They, they, they told lies. Yeah, you know, they fear-mongered. They used their military might. And so I might as well too. Just take control. The world will be better with me in control. At least my own little world. Just compromise a little bit to gain a whole lot. That's the temptation here. Because think about this. The, the biblical story promises over and over again that Jesus is going to rule the world one day anyways. So why not now? Because it's not about Jesus. This power is not about me. It's about God. And so Jesus says, I'm going to wait. No, no, no. Someday I will rule this world, but it's when God, my heavenly father, says so. Jesus replied to him, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's not about me. This power isn't for me. The devil says, okay, okay. How about this? Brought him into Jerusalem and had him stand at the pinnacle of the temple. The pinnacle of the temple, there's a lot of disagreement of what this looks like, but um, I love this interpretation of it. It's actually this corner of the Temple Mount. This is the actual Temple Mount that Jesus would have stood on if he was physically there um, in Jerusalem. You can go there today. You can't go, well, you can kind of go in it, but not fully go in it. Um, so, but you can stand here and see, um, and it is a drop. But what would oftentimes happen in Jesus' day when there was announcement of the Sabbath or a religious holiday, the priests would get up here on this very high point, and, and there was a rock there that, that proclaimed that this was the place to proclaim uh, news and, and celebrations and announce things, and they'd get up there and declare things. And so people were really used to people standing up there, and when people stood up there, everybody paid attention. And so the devil says, I'm going to take you up there and here's what you need to do you're the son of God throw yourself down off of that for it's written he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you and on their hands they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against the stone in other words you're going to jump off this Jesus and everybody's going to be amazed because they're going to see a bunch of angels swoop down from heaven and pick you up before you hurt yourself and it's going to be incredible everybody's going to be watching they're going to be like oh my gosh this guy is incredible he's so powerful he's awesome you need to do that, Jesus. That's what you got to do. Then you'll have power. Everybody's going to look around and be in awe of you. And again, you think to yourself, if you know the biblical story, you think to yourself, well, let's be honest. In, in just a few verses from now, Jesus is going to heal people, right? He's going to raise people from the dead. He's going to perform all these amazing miracles that people are going to be like shocked by, right? 
So why is it such a big deal if Jesus just jumps off this and some angels show up? Wouldn't it just make it easier for Jesus and everybody's just like, oh my gosh, I gotta, you know, I gotta follow that guy. He's in charge. What's the difference again? Why isn't it a big deal if Jesus just jumps off here? What's the difference? Jesus is trying to be on the side of no cheap stunts to earn influence. He's not trying to draw attention to himself because Jesus knows that power is not meant to give life to ourselves. Power over others is meant to give life to others. Power is meant to give life to other people, not to ourselves. And if Jesus would have jumped off that, who would have been the focal point? Who would have been receiving the blessing of that power? Jesus. It would have been all about him. But when Jesus goes around and does all these amazing miracles, who's he serving? Who's he helping? Others. Others. Every time. To give life and strength and encouragement and power to other people. A time and time again. Not my will, Lord, he says, but your world, or your will. Not to be served, but to serve. To give my life as ransom for who? For many, for others. That's God's pattern in his story from the beginning. Think about it, in the beginning, God has power. What does he do with it? He gives it so others can experience it, so we can experience it. He even gives us power and authority in our world. He wants to share it with us. He gives power to give life to others. He does that in the beginning. He does it in the middle. From the nation of Israel, through Jesus, and ultimately so that we can exist in paradise in the end. Removing death and giving life to all who want it forever. My friends, this is real power. Oh, back up. This, this right here. This is power. This is real power. What hangs in the balance of how you use your power? Everyone. Everyone that you ever come eyeball to eyeball with hangs in the balance of how you use power. If you are alone on a desert island, how much power you got? You have definitely no electricity, but you also have like no power, right? Nada. It's in the influence of others where we really begin to give credibility to authority. The people around you hang in the balance. Your heavenly father and your relationship with him hangs in the balance. I'm just telling you, your life will go better when you lead like Jesus led. When you look at power and influence the same way Jesus did. It's how we were created to live. Therefore, it will work better when you use it, not for your own glorification, not for your own selfish desires, but for others. You think you build yourself up. You think you're, you're making yourself bigger by emboldening yourself. In reality, you're making yourself smaller. You're making yourself smaller. And deep down, I think we all know that. Versus when you point people towards life. When you point people like Jesus did to forgiveness, to mercy, to grace, to truth. 
to patience and kindness. When you point people towards God instead of yourself, like Jesus did, that's when life begins to blossom in your life and others. Think about that though. Like the people that you admire, the people who you would say, wow, I really appreciate having them in my life. I really appreciated the season that they were a part of my life. They helped me a ton. They gave me opportunity that I never had before. They really went out of their way for me. And you give that admiration to someone else. Did that someone else not act selflessly when they did that? They may have even had a title. They may not have had a title. It didn't really matter to you. Why? Because they served you. They loved you, even if it cost themselves something to do so. Even when they had to sacrifice for your benefit, to go out of their way for you. But they loved you and they cared about you and they wanted to lead well and they did and you admired them for that. That love, my friends, is what love requires of us. That's what leadership requires of us. That's how we handle power if we want to handle it like Jesus handled it. This is, how, this is what God required of Jesus. God sent his one and only son because he loved the world. He sent them to save the world, not to condemn it. And it required Jesus to give his life, both in his ministry and his actual life so that others could experience new life. This, that version of power changes the world. That shapes empires, that changes your life. And it's far more powerful and incredible than any other kind of power that we give measure to and credibility to in the world. That power doesn't need land. That power doesn't need territory. It doesn't need military. It doesn't need social media. It just needs a relationship. It doesn't need your anger. It doesn't need your bitterness. It just needs your love and your servitude and your focus and compassion and your love. This is power that's stronger than even your sin, even your failures. Come on, it's the kind of leader you want in your family. It's the kind of leader you want as your boss. It's the kind of type of leader, the version, this version of power that you want leading you every day, isn't it? So why don't you just let Jesus do that today? Just let him lead your life today. Don't you want that? Don't you kind of deep down want other people to look at you and say, wow, they are just so kind and so generous because they, they have me in mind first and foremost. It's not about them. It's not convenient necessarily always for them. They're there to serve and care for me. This comes out most, let's be honest with ourselves. This, come out, this comes out most when things aren't going well, when we're hungry when we're afraid, when we're frustrated, how we view power and leadership most comes out when we're in kind of our worst place. How do you use power traditionally? How do you use power when you have it, when you feel like you need to use it because things aren't going well? Do you default to force like so many people today? Do you, do you default to pointed social media posts as an outlet for your emotions? Do you ignore people? Do you shun them? Do you block them? 
because you don't want to deal with it, because you don't want to reconcile, you don't want to figure it out. It's just easier just to walk away. Is that how you use your power? Because you have power. And in so doing, you are influencing others to change their behavior and to live their lives differently because you are a leader. Or do you use your power like Jesus to give life first and foremost to others? Because that's what love requires, is, uh, what requires of us. And this is the question that I often bring up pretty much every year to remind you, to ask yourself the question, what does love require of me? Love requires of me serving others. Love requires of me a different view of authority and leadership, the Jesus kind of view. Because we see what love required of Jesus. And it was using your power, not for the benefit of himself, but for the benefit of those around him. So we're going to jump into a bunch of other topics over the next six weeks. But underlying all of that, I hope you will wrestle with and come to terms with the fact that you have power. You have leadership. You may not be the leader, but you are a leader. And how you use it makes a big difference in the world around you, in your own life, in the people's lives around you. And it reflects upon us as a church. It reflects upon your family. And Jesus said the best way to do that is to leverage that authority for the benefit of others. And that, undermine, uh, that, that runs and under support, supports everything that we're gonna talk about in the next few weeks. If you would bow your head and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is difficult. It is difficult, especially when things aren't going well, to use our power and our influence and our wisdom, our capacity to teach, our capacity to love, even our capacity to get angry and to become bitter, to use that to benefit ourselves, to serve ourselves, often to serve our own insecurities, our own failures and faults, our own sins. But Lord, maybe today is the day where we start to look at leadership, the leadership that we all have, that you have given us from the beginning and use it for something bigger and so much better than it's ever been used before. That we would use it to give life to others, to serve others, to lift others up so that they could seek their potential, that they could seek the fullness of life that you promise. And they would experience it because they trust you, but because we are also using our influence to lift them up as well. Lord, that, that we wouldn't shy away from that, that we would imagine a world, a workplace, a family in which everyone worked together for that end. And we would come to realize that it would just work so much better because that's how you've created it to work. And we get so distracted and distraught with everything in life that we forget that. Or maybe we don't even know that, but today we would know that. Today we would trust that. Today, that would be the mark that we shoot for as it is for us as a church, that you would help us individually and together corporately, that for days and months and years to come, that we would be an environment, a space to help others to grow their gifts and become leaders like your son, Jesus, and point our power towards you, to point our power towards the benefit of others, to sacrifice like your son sacrificed for us, that that 
would be the kind of power we seek to have every day. Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom and everything we need, the people in our lives to live that out. In your name I pray, amen.